0: come into this place this morning as we gather side by side with our friends, our brothers, our sisters, as we take a moment here on this first day of this week and offer our thoughts and our minds, our hands, our feet to you in worship. We offer to you our songs and we sing of Jesus today, the one that you sent, you with with skin on, you walking here, you changing every part of history that we know. So we worship Jesus. We worship you because you not only came, but you came with a purpose. You came to redeem us. You came to offer us what we could not get on our own. You came to give us what we most needed. You came to give us life abundantly, completely, and eternally. And so for that, we worship you. God, you also came to forgive our sins, to wash us clean, to make us new in your sight. So we worship you for that. And now, God, as we come to a time where we we spend some moments reading the words today of Jesus, reading some of these words He said, some things He said that mean something still to us. Would you teach us through them? Would you move in our minds and our hearts, move to our hands and our feet, and teach us, God, teach us how to love better? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, let me also welcome you to Faith Christian today. So glad that we're here today as we kind of roll into January. Glad that we get to uh, to spend part of your weekend together, uh, both in the room. Uh, welcome those of you who are watching online. Thanks for making this a part of your weekend as well. Uh, just one real quick announcement before we dig into our teaching time is as we are in January, we've kind of reset the calendar. Uh, we are looking to uh, to fill a couple of spots within the uh, the, the life of this church. Uh, we, we we talk a lot about finding your place of service in or through the church, and one of the places we need uh, some help uh, is in our uh, Sunday morning uh, preparation area uh, in the kitchen. We have some folks who will come in, make coffee, uh, prepare our communion emblems for the service that day, and uh, if you would be willing to sign up for a month, uh, Michelle would love to talk to you, or you can see the sign-up list in the kitchen before you leave today, uh, just if you haven't had a chance to look at that, if you could sign up, maybe find somebody you could do that with, and you guys partner together and spend a month in the kitchen uh, getting things ready for us, uh, maybe your whole family would do that, that'd be a lot of a, lot of wa- a great way for your family to serve together, and so if you've been looking for a way to serve enter through the church, that's an opportunity that's uh, available right now, and we'd love for you to check that out before you leave this morning. You know, any time that I meet someone for the first time um, out, outside of the context of church when I'm you know I'm out in the community I'm, i I do a lot of stuff in our local schools uh the th- local theater uh just I'm around you, you know that I'm around so anytime I meet someone around um you know maybe on a plane uh maybe waiting to get the oil change you know just strike up a conversation with somebody generally it's small talk you know you you meet somebody new you're strangers you begin a little just a little bit of small talk casual conversation we'll talk about the weather you know we'll we'll Complain about how bad the Browns are. You know, we'll find something to talk about, things like that. But eventually the conversation is going to take a turn. Eventually the conversation is going to turn to this question So, what do you do for a living? What do you do? Now, I got to be honest with you. I get a little nervous when someone asks me that question. This may surprise you because you're in church and you know that I work at the church. You get that. So when I, I get a little uncomfortable when that question comes up. So I'll usually try to divert the question back. Oh, well, well tell me what you do. What, what do you do? What's your life look like? And eventually, though, it's always going to come back to me asking me, what do I do for a living? And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm hesitant to answer. I'm a little scared to answer, which may seem odd to you to hear me say that, but just hang on a minute. Because what happens is, as soon as I tell someone that I work at a church, the conversation is going to get weird. I promise you, it's going to get weird. Immediately, first thing that happens, you can see the wheels turning in the person's mind as they are replaying the last five, ten minutes of conversation we've had, and they're thinking to themselves, "Oh, crap, did I just say something I shouldn't say in front of a pastor?" And they' and, and I'm like, don't worry, I know the bad words too. It's fine. It's, I, I get that, all right we we're, we're good. But then, if the conversation continues, if, if the conversation continues, because a lot of time the conversation does not continue past that moment, I get a lot of people just bail, oh, look at the time, I gotta go, I'm like, dude, where are you going, we're on a plane, you know, where, where are you going? Um, but a lot of times, a lot of times, people will just assume that because I'm a pastor, because I work at a church, that I know nothing about anything else in life. I don't know anything about sports or politics or art or world events or literature or pop culture, none of it. And so they will try to speak my language, which always gets weird. So I'll hear things like, oh, I've been to church before. Oh, we used to live next door to a church. Oh, I like Chick-fil-A. You know, it always gets weird. It's just awkward. But if we start dialoguing, if we continue having a conversation and they start asking questions, and I, listen, I'm really careful not to push the issue because I don't want it to be weird. But sometimes they really want to talk about it. And they'll start asking questions like, well, tell me about your church. What what kind of church are are you a part of? Tell me me what you guys do. Tell me, uh, what what do you all believe in? All those kind of things. And eventually, the question is going to come in some form. It's going to come in all different forms. But here's the, the kind of the, the, the nutshell question that they're going to, that's going to come up, that they're going to eventually get to. And the question is this, in, in a nutshell. This is my summary of the question. Do you guys really, really believe that Jesus is who he said he was? And you know what? That's a great question that may be the best question you could ever ask is jesus really who he said he was and do you really believe that jesus really is who he said he was because that question that they're asking basically is this they want to know can i trust the bible is accurate when it comes to jesus and so in that conversation if if they'll allow the conversation to continue Eventually the congregation I'll use, in the conversation. I'll usually say something along the lines of well I believe that everything hinges on Jesus For, Forget about religion Forget about the church that you grew up in about what you've been told If Jesus really did come back from the dead We should probably pay attention to what he had to say And then I'll say something like you know, we, we don't even have to open, open a Bible. We, we can look at history, and we can know from history, not, not from Scripture, but from history, we can know that Jesus of Nazareth was pretty special. In fact, history tells us that Jesus of Nazareth actually did exist. He did live. And that he taught many amazing things. He performed miracles. Scripture tells us this, yes, but history also tells us this. He performed miracles. Had many numerous followers that followed him and, and clung to the words that he said history tells us that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, died by crucifixion, by a Roman crucifixion. And history tells us, not just scripture, but history tells us that people saw him alive three days later. And over the course of the next 40 to 50 days after his crucifixion, that the eyewitnesses saw him alive, that that they were so convinced that they saw Jesus, that this movement This global movement began we call it the church that continues all these thousands of years later and the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus in those 40 to 50 days after the crucifixion were so convinced that what they saw was true that they went to their deaths with their claim that Jesus came back from the dead you don't even have to open a Bible to get all of those facts And even though I feel like that is a pretty compelling argument, the answer that I often get in these conversations with strangers, the answer I often get at that point is something like this. Oh, well, who knows? (laughs) And then we go back to talk about how bad the Browns are, (laughs) because that's kind of the way it works. Here's what I've discovered. When it comes to these questions about Jesus, what people really, really feel is this. If I choose to believe that Jesus was who he said he was then it would make sense to do what Jesus said to do and let's be honest that is usually a deal breaker for a lot of people this is the moment where a lot of folks on this whole Jesus Bible Church thing bail out where they give up and I suspect that some of you have been there, too, that you've been there. We're starting a new series today as we begin this kind of new year, 2023, together. And over the course of the next several weeks, I want to take a look at some of the things that Jesus said because if I choose to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, then it would make a lot of sense for me to do what Jesus said to do. But here's the hook, and here's kind of where we're going to go over the next several weeks. The words of jesus that we're going to read together the things that jesus said that we're going to talk about together over the next several weeks i hope you'll be here for all of them the things we're going to we're going to look at that jesus said honestly (laughs) between you and me i really wish jesus hadn't said these things so we're gonna look at some of the things that jesus said that i wish jesus hadn't said because there are a lot of things that jesus said that were shocking and they were controversial and they're challenging to us and at times They are deal breakers for people when it comes to deciding whether or not they're going to follow Jesus They're going to believe in Jesus and follow him with their lives And so we want to spend some time over the next few weeks looking at some of these very controversial Very challenging things that Jesus said we want to figure out what did he mean when he said it To the people he said it in the in the historical context the cultural context that he said these things. What did it mean to them? And what does it mean to us a couple of thousand years later? doesn't mean anything to us we want to explore that and find out if that means if if those words still mean anything in our lives today and i really believe that as we do this we're going to discover that not only was jesus right we're going to discover that when we do what jesus said to do that that really is the best way to live so if you've got a Bible with you this morning or you want to pull out a Bible app on your phone or there's maybe one in the seat in front of you You are welcome to join me in Matthew chapter 16 this morning The words will be on the screen behind me when we get to the words of Jesus We read those in a minute But if you want to follow along in your, uh, in your Bible, find your spot in Matthew 16 While you're doing that, let me ask you this question to kind of get us started with today's topic What is your plan for your life? You got a plan, right? What's your 20-year plan What's your 10-year plan? What's your 5-year plan? You got plans for lunch? What, we all have a plan, right? Every one of us has some kind of plan. What is your plan for your life? Now, for some of us, when we think about our plans and our future and planning, just the new year, you know, we're, we're mapping out the new year. For a lot of us, the plan revolves around family. We have the family plan, we'll call it. And it usually starts off like this. I, I want to get married. Uh, We want to have some kids. We've got to get those kids through college And then you know if there's any money left over after all that we want to try to retire somewhere And that's the family plan. That's a good plan. You've got a family plan Sometimes our plans revolve around our careers like 10-year 20-year plans a career plan So you want you know you start off as an associate you want to work your way up to be a manager Maybe the vice president Maybe someday you become the president of the company or you'll buy out the company and that's the career plan for you For some of us we're not interested in any of those things we have the we call it the fun plan you know we're we're on the fun plan we want to exist we want to take naps that's what we want to do we want to play video games and uh, we want to hopefully hopefully someday we'll win the lottery all right that's the plan (laughs) and that's the fun plan did you know did you know everyone has plans even the cleveland browns have a plan and that plan is no plan Who is running that organization? My goodness. All right, so anyway, back in Jesus' day, let's go to some context here. Back in Jesus' day, people had a plan as well. And their plan in the first century, their plan in in Judea, in in what we can now call Israel, that part of the Middle East where where all this stuff happens, uh, the plan in that day was to do whatever it took. Their number one goal, their number one plan was to get out from under Roman rule. The Romans were in charge, and the Jews didn't like it. They didn't want to be under anyone's thumb. They didn't want to be under Roman oppression. They didn't want to be under Roman rule. And so because then, but back then, the Jewish people back then lived under Roman oppression. The only thing that they wanted in life, their only plan, political plan, religious plan, social plan, economic plan, financial plan, all of their plans revolved around one thing, and that was getting out of Roman oppression. They didn't want to be there. Now, they had been hearing now, we fast forward to, to, to the first century, the time of Jesus, they have been hearing for centuries in their past, their ancestors, their great ancestors, for centuries from the prophet God, from Scripture, that there would one day, be, one day would come a Messiah, which one who, who would be somebody, this Messiah, the chosen one, who would come and the Messiah, what the Messiah was going to do was free them from oppression. And they, of course, assumed that that meant roman oppression because that's how they were being oppressed so when jesus shows up on the scene in the first century and jesus talks like what they all assumed the messiah would talk like and jesus did things that they all assumed that the messiah would do they assumed that jesus if jesus is the messiah that he is our revolutionary he is the one who's going to lead us out of Roman rule, he's going to overthrow the government, and we will be free finally. That was their plan, for the Messiah to free them from this oppression in Rome. But God had a different plan. God's idea of oppression was deeper and a much more lasting oppression than just Rome. God's idea of of oppression was that of a spiritual nature that impacts our eternity and it impacts our relationship with the holy God. And God's plan was that the Messiah was going to come to bring freedom from all oppression. Not specifically political oppression. And so we have a case here in Matthew, when we get to Matthew 16, where we got a people with a plan in their mind and we've got God with a plan in his mind, and there are two different plans. People's plan versus God's plan. And so when Jesus talks like a Messiah, acts like a Messiah, Jesus begins talking about his plan. And Jesus begins sharing his plan. It is contradictory to the people's plan, and everyone gets all flustered because they don't know what to do with it. Let me show you what Jesus, what, what happens. This is Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to start reading about verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priest, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, and on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, you and I, 2,000 years from this moment, we, we have a different perspective on these words. Yeah, Jesus is going to die on a cross and raise again in three days. That's good news for us, right? Not for these folks. People back then believed that the Messiah would be this, this kind of perfect combination of what we would assume today would be like the, uh, the combination of like a Teddy Roosevelt and a Captain America. He was going to come in politically, militarily, and it going to fix all our problems. Who's was going to take care of everything, set the people free. They expected the Messiah to show up and you know, boom, everything's better. They would be free. That's what they were looking for. And the moment that Jesus says these words about he's going to be killed, everybody stops listening. Whoop, turn him off. Because they, they stop listening. anything he says next. They don't even hear the phrase that God's going to raise him back from the dead in three days. All they hear is that their political revolutionary, their political hero, is going to die. And they don't want anything to do with that plan because that's not their plan. Verse 22. So Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Can you imagine? (laughs) Think about this. Can you imagine taking Jesus aside and rebuking him? This is some serious guts here. This would be me like, like me trying to tell Tiger Woods how to putt. It it wouldn't make any sense. He shouldn't listen to me. So Peter takes Jesus aside to give him some words of insight Well, jesus has some words to say back to peter and i'm not sure how you recover from this Somehow peter does but this is what jesus says back to peter verse 23. Jesus turned to peter and said Get away from me satan ouch You are a dangerous trap to me You were seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. In other words, Peter has in mind this plan, the people's plan, for for how Jesus should should execute his plan, how Jesus should, should pull off his plan to set them free from Roman oppression. And Jesus says, you don't have God's plan in mind. You have your plan, and it's the wrong plan. Verse 24, then Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Not the politics, not the government, me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul all right so this is some shocking stuff from jesus here this is the stuff that i wish jesus never said if you want to save your life you're going to lose it if you want to lose your life you're going to find it what on earth does this mean let me let me read you that that verse again matthew 16 verse 25 from a different translation this might help us get a a, just a different angle at it a different way to attack this these words of jesus jesus says if you try to keep your life for yourself you will lose it but if you give up your life for me you will find true life Do, do any of you know the name aaron rolston Aaron Rolston was this kid uh, several years ago that went hiking on a Saturday afternoon out in a canyon in Utah. We got to go there this summer, it's gorgeous. But Aaron Rolston went hiking by himself. That was the first stupid thing he did. He went out all by himself, and no one knew where he, was, where he was, and he fell while he was hiking in this canyon, fell into a canyon, got his right arm caught underneath a large boulder. Do you remember the story? He thought that somehow, you know, he could, he stuck, but no one could hear him scream so he could wiggle his way out of there but he couldn't and the more he wiggled the more he was trapped this went on for days he was unable to move because he was stuck with his arm underneath this boulder by tuesday he'd left on a saturday by tuesday he had run out of water and by thursday he realized if he didn't do something drastic he was going to die No cell phone coverage, nobody around, nobody to help, no one even knowing where to look for him. And so Aaron Rolston came to this grueling conclusion. If I'm going to live, the arm's got to go. Remember the story? So he took off his belt, put it around his arm, just below the elbow, and took out his pocket knife, which I hope he had sharpened before this trip. Began the horrific process of cutting off his own arm he said he passed out several times during the process you think vomiting all kinds of pain involved with this finally he severs his own arm repels 60 feet to the canyon floor where he begins walking finally comes across two other hikers who get him help gets airlifted to the hospital, walks into the emergency room under his own power. That's got to be a heck of a day at the ER, right? (laughs) You see, he came to the point in his life where he said, if I'm going to live, the arm has got to go. I think what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew 16 is this. If you want to live, if you want to have real life, If you want to live an abundant life, if you want to follow me with your life, your plan has got to go. You have to be willing to say, God, I am going to go with your plan, even if it's not my plan for my life. Now, I think there's a bunch of reasons why why we don't like this, why we wish Jesus hadn't said that. I'm going to just work through one of those reasons today. I think it's the big one, kind of maybe an umbrella reason for all the other reasons you come up with. The reason I want to address is this. The reason we don't like these words of Jesus is this. We really like our plans. I mean, we made them, right? We're the people who say things like, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Uh, We love movies, like remember the old movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, where a guy gets a plan in his mind for his life and how he's gonna do it, and he sets out to do it, and nothing is gonna stop it. We, We cheer that kind of thing on. We love that kind of plan and execution because we want to be like that because we all have plans for our lives. Most of, you, well, know, most of you, I know, most of you I keep getting older, most of you around my age will remember the great old Billy Joel song that says, I don't care what you say anymore, this is my life go ahead with your own life leave me alone so when Jesus says to us you gotta go with my plan instead of your plan, most of us, although we probably don't say it out loud, but most of us mentally we think go ahead with your own life Jesus leave me alone because I got my own plan I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna have my life. I'm gonna live my life Now most of us may maybe weren't that quite that extreme Most of us were let me say like this most of us are okay with jesus being a part of our plan As long as he helps us execute our plan He's kind of like the you know, we think of jesus a lot of times as the genie in the bottle The uh, the assistant to help us make our dreams come true So we would get our plan together and we say here it is, Jesus, here's my plan, please bless my plan, please make my plan happen the way I want my plan to go. And Jesus, make it successful. Jesus, will you just do your Jesus magic and make my plan work, Jesus? That's what I need you to do. Here's the problem. We've completely missed the idea of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 16. And Jesus is not saying, don't have plans. He's not saying he's not interested in our plans. What Jesus is saying here is if you want to have full richness of life, you want to really live, you want to have real life, then you got to let me have final say over your plans. Because I just happen to know what's best for your life. I just happen to know what's best when it comes to anything in your life. Listen to that same verse we read just a second ago, from, again, from a third different translation this time. This is from the message If your first concern is to look after yourself You'll never find yourself But if you forget about yourselves and look to me You'll find both yourself and me I love what the writer of Proverbs says In Proverbs chapter 16 I love these words from the Old Testament We can make our plans But the Lord determines our steps I don't know about you But I want God to determine my steps Even if it's not my plan So let me ask When it comes to your plans For your life Is it your desire for the Lord To determine your steps When it comes to your plan Family plan, career plan, financial plan Whatever it is Have you ever been willing to say to God God Here it is Not, will you bless it? Will you make it work? But God, here it is. You can have it. It's yours. Everything I am, including my plan, is yours. I've got my ideas, but God, you order. You determine my steps. Several years ago, the Los Angeles Times had an article in their magazine called Depression Epidemic Among Young Adults. The Depression Epidemic Among Young Adults. And this is what, what they discovered, and they, they, they read some research, and we're reporting this research in this article in the magazine. What they discovered was that people that were born in the last 30 to 40 years were 10 times more likely to suffer from clinical depression than their parents or grandparents. You, you probably already know this because you've seen it happen in your life. The article says this. We find it very interesting because their grandparents went through World War II and the Great Depression, yet for some reason, people born over the last 30 to 40 years grew up in a self-centered me culture and it left them wanting and it left them depressed. Now, the author of this article doesn't quote Jesus But I think pretty much this author says exactly what Jesus says. When you try to find your life, you're left wanting. If you want to find your life, you've got to be willing to lose your life. You've got to be willing to give up your life. You've got to be willing to give up your plans and allow God to determine your steps. So I think Jesus is trying to get your attention today. And he's asking you, do I have Every part of your life, even your plans. What part of your plan is off limits to God? Maybe the decision that you need to make today is to say to God, here it is. Every bit of it is yours. It's not mine anymore. Nothing is off limits any longer. It's all yours. Is there any part of your life that you've said is off limits to God and is today the day that you decide to let God order your steps? God, I'm going to go with your plan. I've got my ideas. I've got my desires. But I'm going to give them to you, not just to bless and make work. I'm going to give them to you so that you can order my steps. Every part of it is yours. Let me pray for you. For our community team, go ahead and find their way to, to get ready to serve community to us. Father, our prayer is just these words from Proverbs 16. That you would determine our steps. That you would give us the courage, the guts, to give to you every part of not only our lives, but even our plans. Every part of us, and you would determine that. You would order those steps. That you would take our plans, mesh it with your plan to accomplish what you want to see accomplished in Tuscarawas County, across this world that you would take your plans and take our lives and put, work our lives into your plans and that as we seek to find you we give up our own plans to you, that we would find a fullness of life, a completeness of life an exhilarated life a challenge of life that we so desperately want but that we've never been able to find on our own so God would you determine our steps and give us the guts to lose our lives for you so that we might find it. We pray this today in the name of Jesus.